Welcome to the Health Made Simple Community Podcast. Today, I'm excited to bring on a completely different topic when it comes to health, and we're diving more into the mental side of things, because yes, there's all different areas of health, and mental health is extremely obviously important that we need to start paying attention to. So today I bring on a special guest, Riley Andrews. She is a licensed mental health therapist and actually specializes in the perinatal mental health. So if you're trying to get pregnant, so even pre-pregnancy to during pregnancy, and of course, post-pregnancy, Riley specializes in all these areas with women to help them navigate through this time and even parenthood and how we start to shift. And the best thing that she ever said um, when we talked about this was trauma. This was her best example example is trauma. There's trauma regardless. It's a capital T or a lowercase t. There's trauma in somewhere. And so this is why mental health is as much more prevalent as it is becoming, especially with women going through pregnancy. It's such a um, transition in our lives, of course. And so it plays such a significant role as we become parents, right? We ch- everything changes. So this is a really exciting episode as we dive into this. I hope you enjoy. Today, I am excited to bring on a special guest. This is Riley Andrews. She is a licensed mental health therapist that specializes in prenatal mental health. So I'm going to give you a little bit more of the floor to start off, Riley, to obviously go a little bit more um, in detail of what that looks like. And um, yeah, I'm excited for today to really dive into this topic because this is a very different topic than anything I've ever um, obviously discussed myself. But working with women and women's health, I think this is a very prevalent uh, conversation. So go for it, Riley. Yeah. Okay. So I specialize, like you said, Casey, in the perinatal mental health, um, which is anything from um, trying to conceive up until um, postpartum. So pregnancy, postpartum, birth, deliver, delivery, labor. Um, and then postpartum actually can go up quite a few years after um, delivery, which we don't typically think about. Um, for a lot of people, it, it's like that three-year mark, but it can actually extend even further than that. Um, so anywhere in that postpartum period, that's kind of my area of niche, as well as the beforehand side of things. And that's a lot. That's, I mean, that's anywhere, you know, obviously from people, like you said, pre, um, all the way into post. And that can range probably for year, months, years, mm-hmm. and onward. How long have you been, um, how long did you, I guess, have been working with uh, patients in this? Um, that's a good question. Let me think <laughs> back on that one. Uh, I think formally, so I, I, okay, so I'll tell this part. So when I had my son, he's now three. Um, I kind of was like sitting on my couch in the postpartum period. And I had worked with moms previously to this, but not necessarily in a complete capacity where I was like formally trained in postpartum, um, and had done all of that stuff. But I was sitting on my couch and I was like, oh, wait a second. This is what postpartum is. This doesn't feel good. Um, right. And I kind of went through the whole cycle of like, okay, if I feel this way, right. And I have all the tools and tips and tricks on how to not feel this way, but I'm still feeling this way. Like there's gotta be something more. Right. So then I kind of dove in and I said, and my big thing was that I wanted to be able to offer support to moms so that they could be able to feel like the mom that they know that they're able to be right. Mm-hmm. And so if we fix mom, if we fix mom's mental health, I put air quotes there, right. Like if we fix mom's mental health right from the start. We're setting her and baby up for successful mental health and coping skills throughout like the duration of everybody's life, right? Mm. So building that foundation from, from, well, if you get in before you have baby, right? Like pre-birth yeah. all the way through the rest of little one's life. I guess I've never like thought of it that way. I mean, of working on it pre versus kind of being the react, obviously with, like you said, you were, you didn't notice it till after the fact. Yeah. Um, and then, so how would you even know to, I guess, would it be something to explore beforehand yeah. if you're looking at getting pregnant? Yeah. So I'm a huge proponent of, um, preventative care, whether that's like medical, mental, right? Like anything preventative is, is typically better for us, right? In the long run, um, we're not having to play catch up on anything. Um, and so when I have clients that come in on a, on the preventative side of things, it's usually just like, we check in, we, we make sure that they've got their coping skills beefed up. We make sure that like, you know, if this were to happen or that were to happen, we've kind of got a game plan. Um, right. And we kind of, we just kind of start from there. My treatment modality is very specific to, um, each client and each mama that's coming in and what she wants to work on. So I'll have like on the preventative side, a bunch of, a bunch of moms that'll come in at the beginning and say like, okay, I know that labor can be scary. Right. And I'm having a lot of 
a lot of fear around that. And so we'll, we'll work through their narrative of birth and what they've been told their whole life mm-hmm. uh, about what birth, what birth is. And we can kind of start to reframe that and restructure that. Okay. Like, okay, that's what you've been told that birth is, but what do you want birth to be? Right. And so we can kind of start to eliminate some of that fear from the beginning and then hopefully avoid any traumatic experiences that would happen in the labor or delivery, right? Because we've prepped for it. Yeah. It's actually really, I've never like, I've never thought of any of this, you know, and I'm sure this is everybody that comes to see yeah. you. Like Riley, I've never thought of this before. Like, <laughs> yeah. The preventative care to actually going through the birth. Like, I mean, I'll be honest, like I have not, I've not done any type of therapy when it comes to anything in the pre, uh, prenatal world or with it, or yeah, parent, what's the word? Perinatal. Perinatal. That's the word. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I will say like, when you talk about like that, oh, this is what postpartum was. I definitely think I had it with my first kid, um, Mm -hmm. because there was just a massive overwhelming of feeling and I didn't know what it was Mm -hmm. either. Um, I mean, how do you, I, I will say I didn't, it didn't affect me. I obviously, I don't think it necessarily, I was able to obviously kind of work through that. Um, but I just, kind of remember having that feeling when right I still remember that obviously today Mm -hmm. um and my child is now eight Uh, (laughs) that's my oldest Mm -hmm. so how do you even recognize some of those areas that you're like hey maybe you know maybe I should reach out I guess that's my next step yeah so postpartum don't hold me to this but I'm pretty sure it's accurate I'm terrible at math so all my statistics are like almost accurate but not always (laughs) right I think it's one in four one in four moms will experience postpartum to some extent Right. And that's of, of moms who are reporting it. So it's probably actually like a greater number than that. So one in four moms will report postpartum symptoms, whether that's depression, anxiety, psychosis, OCD, right? Like mm. a wide variety of different areas. That, yeah. A wide variety that goes into, yeah, this, this postpartum period of different things um, and emotions that we can be feeling throughout the period. So I think the key is self-awareness, right? Like, and support. So if you know yourself pretty well and like, you're going to change after you have a baby. We, we all know that like immediately we become a new person. Our brain, our brain will actually rewire itself the moment that we give birth to become more maternal. Like that's a scientifically proven fact, right? So, and, and part of that is we become more anxious naturally because we have this other person to care for, like go back to fight or flight, right? Like if our brain, right. If we bring in this new person into the world, we now have to figure out how to take care of it. And so everything things feels like a threat or everything feels scary or intimidating or whatever, right? Like that's, that's primal instinct. Tie that into, you know, 2023, we don't necessarily need to have our primal instinct uh, of survival coming over us all the time, but that, that rewiring is still there, right? So it comes out in anxiety of like intrusive thoughts of like, oh my gosh, I'm going to drop the baby when I'm walking down the stairs. I think every single mom has had that Uh fear, right? Right. Like if you have stairs in your house, you're afraid you're going to drop the baby down the stairs. Why do we do that? Well, it goes back to our survival, our primal instinct of anxiety. So I think there's some, some component to self-aware of like, I don't usually have intrusive thoughts. Where are these coming from? Right. If you have that thought or you're feeling like you're being overwhelmed by this or by the baby blues, even if it's just baby blues, right? Like that's a good starting point to say like, okay, I'm not usually sad. And I've been sad two days this week. And I'm usually sad two days a month. Like what's happening, right? That's, that's a change in pattern for you. So like, let's, let's talk. Yeah. Now, do you agree with the alignment, you know, like the six week postpartum checkup with doctors? Like, I think it needs to be so much sooner. Okay. I was curious about that. Like how soon? So much sooner. Um, so, okay. So I err a little bit more on the holistic side, just in general for, for our philosophy, um, Mm -hmm. with ourselves and our health and our kids. My first birth was at the hospital. He was a C-section. Mm-hmm. Um, my second birth was a uh, birth at the birth center with midwives. Um, they came the next day. Oh, they did. It was amazing. They came huh. the next day. And then I had two or three more appointments before that six-week appointment. And they came to my house. Oh, wow. It was beautiful. <laughs> so, yeah, like, why, how was that, was it, like, what was the reason that made it seem much more beneficial than your first experience? I think like I, I needed to know that there was support, right? So that like is the second piece of like how we can set ourselves up for success is having a team of support people and knowing who that is and who that isn't. Yeah. Uh, I was just listening. I think it was a big little feelings podcast and they were talking about how like there's different people, like knowing who can be supportive and who can't be supportive, right? In, in birth and postpartum, right? Like 
sometimes it's somebody's mother-in-law that's going to be the most supportive person to be there afterwards. Sometimes that's the last person that they want there, right? So being able to like prepare and prep for that and have some of those hard conversations before baby comes of like, so for us, we didn't want anybody to come for the first three days, right? Just as if we were in the hospital, Mm -hmm. nobody's coming, nobody's like, nope, you can bring food. Sure. Drop it off at the door. But I like, my boobs are hanging out. I look like a mess. Like everything's (laughs) chaos. Like, please don't come in my house. Mm -hmm. I would like to sit on the couch in my diaper and nothing else. (laughs) So so nobody gets to come, right? Like, yes. So, but, but knowing that like, okay, so we did, we did break that rule a little bit. We had like, my mom came over because I knew that she was going to be helpful. And I was like, okay, I'm really struggling with this. Can you come over and do this thing for me? And then leave. And she was like, yep, sure. I'll be over in 20. Like, so I like setting that part up ahead of time too. And, and having, like, I think the big piece is having those conversations before baby comes. And we just learned that like personal experience. And then I've seen that a lot, like play out in um, the clients that I have too, right? Like if we have that conversation be- beforehand, it turns into much less of a thing after. And we still have to remind people afterwards of like, nope, remember our rule was, and I'm sorry that my brother and my sister did it this way, but we're doing it this way, mm-hmm. right? Like it's my baby and my mental health. We need to make sure that we're bonding as a family that makes before sense. we let others in. Now, obviously, you know, I kind of going off of my own experience. I will say, obviously, baby number one always is the most unknown. And mm-hmm. I'm probably one of the rare people. Like, I did zero research about anything. I didn't, I didn't know anything. I My baby ended up coming early. I didn't even take Lamont. I didn't take any classes. My, yeah. Really, I just went through the whole thing, deaf, double yeah. blind. <laughs> So I had no idea what to expect of anything. That's probably why there was a shock at the, the speaking of the, like the, uh, you know, like baby blues or whatever, when they sent me home with this is, I, I always remember thing when they sent me home with my kid, I'm like, they're trusting me with this thing. Mm-hmm. And that's, I remember that thought. And mm-hmm. I'm like, how do I know what I'm supposed to do with this little mm-hmm. thing? And I'm supposed mm-hmm. to keep this thing alive. And that was like the, there was a massive overbeat, like feeling and mm-hmm. I'm like, I felt fine and safe and comfortable in the hospital. And then I went home and then I'm like, and then there literally was an oh shit moment. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and there's like a whole joke around the like, okay, so anytime you go to the hospital for anything, they send you home with a whole list of directions on do this, don't do this, blah, 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 right? Like all the things. Yeah. And then yeah. you have a baby and they're like, here you go. Yes. I was like, well, can't you just send me home with this? I'm not yeah, in six weeks. Yeah. You're like, what? No. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. So like, if it is your first baby, having some more support, like support that, you know, will support you in the way that you're needing support. Cause I think like that, and that can change too. And I think having that conversation of like, I think that I want my mom there for the first two weeks so that I have that support because she knows what she's doing. Yep. Okay, cool. We can have that as a plan, but then maybe your mom's been there for a week and you're like, actually, you're just getting in the way. Please leave. (laughs) That can happen. I mean, my sister, we like, she lived in North Carolina. So my mom went down for a month but not until two weeks after the baby because he was born early. And I remember her saying to me when I went down like a month after he was born and she was like, I really want mom to leave. She's like, we had a rhythm and she's just in the way. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I guess that's fair. Like, yeah. She's like, but her plane ticket. And I was like, I mean, <laughs> we can reschedule it. She can leave with me. <laughs> there you go. That's hilarious. <laughs> so yeah, I guess that's what I like. Obviously with first baby, nobody has any idea until they actually experience. So the same thing, mm-hmm. like, because I had the first one, I had a little bit of better idea of what I want to do. The second one, probably same thing with you as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's the best approach to educate yourself since I did not. <laughs> and I should I think- say the other part of this, I would say is probably educate because there's also, because now there is so much, so much information about, uh, you know, pregnancy and birth and all those things that I also feel like that could hinder a lot of mm-hmm. other areas too. So what's a good like balance of trying to educate yourself? I think that's like a really good point. Cause I think it's like, like the Google started as a Google thing. And then it was like an Instagram and now it's like a TikTok, right? We have all these resources or avenues that yeah. can be super helpful. But I also think that that can be very overwhelming because like, where do you actually start? So we have more access to education than ever before like we keep saying that and I feel like it's like a stupid thing to say because like they've been saying it since the 1990 somethings like <laughs> yeah we're like all right we're 20 years 30 years past that I'm bad at math <laughs> like it probably shouldn't be a saying we're saying anymore but here we are right like we have more education and, and the ability to be educated than ever before but there's a this is a statistic that I absolutely never remember but it's something along the lines of like we plan for 
years for our wedding, right? We think mm. about every single detail, mm-hmm. but we never actually plan for our marriage. Like maybe, I know some some religions or some churches will, will require a certain amount of premarital counseling sessions, um, but it's like six, 10 most. So you get 10 hours of marriage prep. Same thing for a baby. We take zero, like zero, you took zero hours of, right. of preparing for labor and delivery and then par- preparing for parenting, right? Yep. So I think if we like see that and we're like, okay, so take the things that you find on TikTok, on Instagram, on Google, right? And like, what do you like most out of those things? That's what is speaking to you the most? And pick like your top three, five things and say like, okay, I'm going to start with these things. I'm going to try these things out. I'm going to find the people who are versed in this thing, right? And then now that person becomes your birth coach, right? Becomes your, hmm. your one of your support people for all information going into birth labor, delivery, postpartum, right? And you can add that to that support team network that you have. I love that. That's, a, I mean, it's a really, I mean, it's private. It's, it's with anything, obviously, anything we want to mm-hmm. educate ourselves on, mm-hmm. we can get influenced by too many outside, you know, too much information. And just like, I mean, now a lot of people on coaches and social media and everywhere saying mm-hmm. you need to fine tune of who you're listening to and just focus onto that because mm-hmm. otherwise it's too much. So it's the mm-hmm. same thing. That makes sense. I like it. I, like honestly, I wish I would have. The deaf, dumb, and blind. I don't recommend it. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> yeah, I made it. I made it through. Preventative versus reactive, right? Like you're, <laughs> you would have needed reactive medication yeah. or proactive treatment versus correct. Proactive. <laughs> so, how many clients do you typically see that come in for the preventative aspect? I'm like, do you hmm. people? Is that now being more educated as well, or and being talked about? I feel like because of the network that I'm connected with in our community, I do have far more preventative clients than a lot of the other practitioners that I talk to. Yeah. Um, but I'm like very connected to, like I, a lot of my referrals will come from birth, co- birth coaches or midwives or um, pelvic floor therapists or like, di- like different areas like that. So I, I do have quite a few, um, which is abnormal. Um, usually it's the reactive side of things because we don't, we don't know what we don't know until we know. Right. Yep. So you're not looking for the service until you need the service. Okay. I mean, so I mean, well, I, you know, I guess as everything's kind of changing and then shifting in the world is there obviously in health and wellness and every in medicine, mm-hmm. I do think the shift of preventative is slightly happening. <laughs> I think so too. <laughs> I'm hopeful gonna, at least. That's right. It's not going to be probably hundred percent, but at least slightly shifting in that direction. Um, now what about like during, if you're pregnant, like obviously the, during the pregnancy piece, do you ever see people that are in the middle of their pregnancy that come in? Mm-hmm. There's not what, like right or a wrong time to start. That makes sense. What are, I mean, like why, why would somebody come in, um, for those, re- and obviously it's, there's probably an array of different reasons. What would be some examples? Yeah, I think, I think they're, it's like a myriad, right? Like they can be coming in for anything or in everything. Um, but I think a lot of it at that point in a pregnancy, like a mid, mid pregnancy would be um, probably fear, anxiety around delivery mm. and, or like becoming a parent. Like, I don't know if I can do this. How do I, how do I do this? Like, am I doing it right? Or all these like questions start coming to mind of like, Oh crap. Right. Like they have that moment of like, um, I don't know anything. Yeah. And I'm just freaking out. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Huh. I mean, yeah. What is like, cause you talked about like her brain actually changes. Yeah. Like you said to actually being a caretaker, obviously yeah. in the brain wiring, does that happen while you're pregnant too? Is that when the shift starts to happen? A bit. I mean, cause like you start to be more aware of like, there's more than just you in the world. I think like up until then we're very uh, self-centered in nature, right? Cause we don't really have anything or anybody else to worry about. Like, yeah, we have our partner and we have our friends or whatever, but for the most part, like we're doing us. Um, and then we get pregnant. We're like, Oh, oh. <laughs> there's like something else here. And we get like a, like a, there's, there's more to me than me in the world. So some of that does start to shift. Got it. Interesting. Now, obviously we've talked a lot about preventative care and things like that. And obviously you're working on the mental, uh, mental health side of things. Do you recommend any type of like nutrition exercise? Like, what do you, um, what do you suggest to your clientele with that stuff? And it probably depends on where they're at, you know, Mm -hmm. in their journey too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's absolutely case by case dependent. Um, 
nutrition does play a huge role in, in mental health. We know that. Um, so does exercise, right? So if it's appropriate for the client, we are having those kinds of conversations on like, maybe if we look at less sugar, some of these symptoms of, of depression will start to alleviate because we know that that happens, right? Uh, maybe if we look at more movement and like you're pregnant. So if you're not moving at all before pregnancy, we're maybe not going to jump straight to lifting weights, but we can start walking, right? Like, and that could be walking the mall, like, right. But just maybe getting, if you're getting 3000 steps, maybe we get 5,000 or 4,000 okay. or 3,500, right? Like we're aiming for better yeah. Um, because if we build these things into our system before baby comes, mm-hmm. we're more likely to do them after baby. Yeah. And like, even like personally speaking, the whole exercise fitness thing, right? That's something that I am like the worst at including in my life because I've never, like high school, I was great. I was an athlete. I didn't need to in college because I like looked great, right? Like didn't think that that mattered. And then I was like, oh, I had kids, but now I have kids, right? Where do I fit it in? But if it's a priority to you before baby, if it's a big priority to you before baby, it's likely that it will stay a priority. It's going to look different, but it will still be something that you value after baby. Definitely. So you talked about like, um, have you, do you notice a lot of correlation with, um, nutrition affecting, like, I mean, to mention sugar briefly, but like, is sugar a big culprit of a lot of, uh, mental health issues or are there other things that are contributing? I mean, I'd say yeah. nutritionally wise, I should say. Yeah. Yeah. And it like, it's very case by case, right? Because so for me, right. I have uh, gluten and dairy. I have an autoimmune disease. So gluten and dairy will inflame me and I will start to feel symptoms of depression if I, I'm not managing my diet well. Um, so like there are a lot of different factors and I have different practitioners that I'll refer to to help kind of figure out what the root cause of the physical symptoms are. And then we kind of work collaboratively to determine like my side of like, okay, how do we treat the mental health side while they're working on the dietary side or the exercise fitness side of things? Got it. Are there any foods that you generally recommend or you just or just in general? I leave that to the people who are like specialized in the, in the dietary. I was just curious. Um, so yeah, I mean, and you also mentioned, is it, you started a new, um, area of expertise. Is it explain that? I don't want to say it wrong. Yeah. Technique that I use for trauma, um, and a little soapbox here. Trauma does not have a big or a little T trauma is trauma. And so every single person in the world, has experienced trauma to some degree. I'm probably not exaggerating with that, right? (laughs) I don't think that's a statistic that's been proven, but in my experience, I have not met a single person that has not had some degree of trauma because trauma is the way that your brain responds to a different situation. Hmm. So I will say this in sessions all the time and it feels very stupid and like I'm dumbing it down because I'm, and I, I am on purpose, right? But trauma can be stubbing your toe, right? If you've experienced nothing worse in your entire life, stubbing your toe. It's the way that your brain responds to it. It was like, ow, that really hurt. Right. And then your hippocampus is like, "Mm, I don't want to remember that pain. I'm just going to block it out. Right. Trauma. (laughs) We often think of trauma as like sexual assault or serving in overseas and being, you know, a veteran in Iraq or, you know, uh, grief loss scenario stuff as trauma. We don't ever think about anything else. And there's like a whole TikTok right thing of like capital T, lowercase T trauma. Like that doesn't exist. Trauma is trauma. It could be stubbing your toe. It can be being a veteran from yeah. Afghan. Now, do you, do you believe that part of the, the way we receive the trauma also has to do probably with how we grew up and perception? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Our worldview and the way that we, we view the world st- starts forming from birth to it's pretty much formal formalized by 18 months of age, which feels super intimidating that's we have up to seven or eight before it's like formalized formalized but it's pretty much set. it's pretty much like the framework and the foundation is laid by 18 months so I got like two more on my second kid and then we <laughs> lost her it's fine um <laughs> right? that's like that's very formative and if you think about what I just said about postpartum right it can last up to three plus years right and so if we're in this state of depress- depression while our baby's worldview is forming that's probably not ideal right we want them to know we want them to be able to self-regulate. We want them to know, you know, what happiness looks like. We want them to know what sadness looks like, but like in a healthy array of emotions, right? And so if it's our job as parents to teach them how to be well-adjusted humans, mm-hmm. we have to be able to be well, especially in those first few months. Why do you feel like it's become more 
you know, I feel like uh, childhood trauma, and maybe just because of the circle I'm, because <laughs> I'm around. Is <laughs> the reels you scroll through? Or the... <laughs> yeah, the reels that are rolling. You to these ones. I'm I mean, all these because postcards. Because we're aware, right? Like, we because we do have the education now, we know we know what the cause is. Mm-hmm. And I will say, my, my parents were amazing. They were both fantastic parents. They, like, not anything wrong, but I have childhood trauma, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's generational. So it's, you know, like I, most of us were spanked as kids, right? Mm-hmm. If we get spanked, like th- that's trauma, right? Like we're being disciplined in a way that doesn't align with our understanding or awareness of discipline at that age, right? Like we have a trauma, trauma response. Um, but it's also generational and there's like studies, this is like the crunchy Riley coming out here for a second. So it's <laughs> all right. doesn't like this, um, <laughs> but there's research that shows that trauma is linked generationally through our nervous system. And if you, I have a question about this, somebody, so do I going to keep going till I, yeah, sure. So if you, I mean, you think about it, right? Like our, we are formed from our parents, right? Like all of our DNA comes from our parents, Mm -hmm. what our parents carry is a part of who they are. We know that trauma can rewire our, our DNA or however, I'm not a scientist, but we know that like, trauma rewires part of our being, right? So if trauma is affecting my mom, it's rewiring who she is, which is now then playing a part into who I am. Mm. If that started with my grandma or my great grandma or my great, great, great grandma, right? Like I'm now carrying generations of trauma in me, right? Because, because of things that happened far out of my control, but then, then rewired the genetic makeup of who I am today. So why is it Pat? Like, how how to me it blows my mind that it's uh hereditary basically <laughs> like how do you know well sorry. i'm not a scientist i'm <laughs> sorry i'm just a therapist but <laughs> i'll just tell you the studies that i've read uh i don't know the why i have no idea I just... but i know that I've, like i've seen it play out right and that's oh. part of where the preventative medication comes or not medication the uh, preventative treatment comes in right is that like if we're addressing some of these things beforehand we can work to prevent our kids from going through the same things. Oh man. So this is why it's really crazy. I literally was just having a conversation with a client. She was reading she was telling me about, um, I think it was the, uh, uh, what was it? <laughs> during the Holocaust and yeah. the generational pass down of trauma, yeah. like some of those that survived, um pass on there were even just like you know some physical ailments that were uh triggered from it and that was the first I was like really she's Mm -hmm. like yeah there's a whole thing on it you gotta look it up and this is why when you said that I was like holy crap you're now the second trauma can also be like so there's a book uh Bessel van der I butchered that um it's the body keeps score is the name of the book Mm -hmm. um and he talks about how trauma can take on um physical sensations or, or ailments right so trauma can become an autoimmune disease. Trauma can become, um, for me, it's a nerve flare in my foot. Um, it's awful. I wish it upon no one. <laughs> right. But like every time that's flared, I'm like, hmm, I've been trauma triggered. Okay, cool. Let's work that on that. When it flares up. But our, our body is saying like, I can't handle this anymore. Like my, or our brain, our brain is saying, I can't handle this anymore. I'm giving it to the body. Ah. If we're recognizing trauma in our body, it's been put off for too long. Mm interesting so how would you know we do need to go back to the brain spotting and how you do that but how do you like like you said everybody experiences trauma somehow some way um I mean I'll be honest I was also you know I feel like I had a pretty good childhood and my parents were great all those things um and then you know I started to do go to therapy sessions as well and started to kind of like unveil it's a made-up word anyway reveals the word <laughs> uh, <laughs> some trauma, you know, quote unquote Mm -hmm. traumas that were going on that I never even associated as actual traumas. So how, like, is it just by, and I would say the only reason why I started going to therapy had nothing to do with childhood trauma. And of course it always derives back to that. So is it just, I guess, what would be your suggestion or just like go just as like a checkup, you know, like what are your thoughts on that aspect? I think every single human being well, every single human being has trauma. So every single human being should be in therapy. I'm learning that. So then I'm like, <laughs> what traumas am I giving to my children? No. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. um, 
and like what my therapist she had said that she and disagree or you know what are your thoughts on this is she's she feels that therapy is one of those things that it's like an on and off like sometimes you'll need it sometimes you don't need it sometimes you need it like it's kind of this on off type do you agree mm-hmm. with that or I do I think there are definitely phases of your life where you're going to need more frequency right of sessions but then there are others that like maybe they just need once a month or maybe they need once every six months okay yeah yeah yeah, I mean, obviously, I think part of it just because I'm getting older, I think that's where I'm like, you know, obviously, I'm big on the body and making sure the body feels good. But obviously, the body and the mind have to work cohesively together. And there's definitely a mental component that as, as your mind is as important as your body. And so we have to take care of both of them. Because they talk to each other, just like you said, when there's trauma, it will come out in physical mm-hmm. ailments, which both is that why sometimes oh, some yeah. like symptoms can't be diagnosed, not necessarily diagnosed, mm-hmm. but maybe it's just yeah. because that makes yeah. sense. So I'll segue back into brain spotting because that's yep. where this applies, right? Yep. Um, so when we start to notice the physical sensations, the unexplained, especially the unexplained physical sensations, right? That are like the nerve in my foot, like the big doctors were like, well, we usually see this in people who've been shot. And I was like, well, that's never happened to me. <laughs> I think I would know too. So yeah. I didn't forget about that one. Um, right. And he was like, I have no, there's no rhyme or reason for this. And I was like, cool. Right. That's right. That's how we, let's like, pretty clear cut sign and that's a trauma response. Um, yes. So brain spotting, right. We'll work that in to the conversation. It's, um, most people probably have heard of EMDR or at least the mention of it. Right. Well, and I'm explain not, what it is though, real quick. Um, I was going to not, um, because, oh. <laughs> well, because I'm not, I don't feel like I'm well enough first to give it a good explanation. Um, well, okay. It, I will tell you my therapist actually did it on me. Okay. So give you what my explanation slash experience, yeah. obviously I'm not a doctor by any means Yeah. is if to me, it basically puts you in a meditative state and there's different styles of EDMR. Mm-hmm. Um, mine was a, like, I held little things that vibrated into my hands mm-hmm. and it, it basically tries to tap into the subconscious, obviously mm-hmm. while you are conscious and it's mm-hmm. supposed to help heal, uh, traumas, whatever faster, because you can tap into the subconscious and you're using eye positions. Right. I, I position eye movement. No, oh, my eyes were shut. Usually that's a part. Well, that is one of the parts of, of EMDR. So this is why I'm like, I don't know enough to be there able to. There's my, my, that's, that's my experience. Yeah. So. Yeah. But it, I mean, it is, it's tapping into the subconscious. Um, I mean, it's eye movement desensitization. What's the R? Oh, that's what it stands for. I bet you my eyes were probably doing something while they were shut. Yeah. There, there's an R. I can't remember. I never remember the R. Um, anyway, that has to do with eye movement. Brain spotting is the same in the sense of it's using eye position and processing your, your subconscious. We'll say subcortical brain, right? Um, so what we do is we kind of like scan your field of vision and it can happen in a, uh, like a myriad of ways. Sometimes we use like just kind of where your eyes are gazing naturally when you're talking about some, something, sometimes we'll like look for a specific point. Um, there's a lot of different ways to, to go into it. I've done three of the four phases of the training, um, and working on the certification for it. So um, there's a lot of different setups. Um, what we're trying to do is, okay, I usually hold up my fist and I'm going to try and like talk this through. Yep. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to, I'm going to, because we're on video, I'm going to show you and hopefully be able to talk it through. So if you make a fist, right. And you're looking at like your, your thumb is pointing your, down. Yep. Your yep, thumb's pointing down. Your thumb's your brainstem. Um, we, the top of the, the the top of your this like flat part on your hand yep. <laughs> the thumb and the pointer finger yeah oh, thank you <laughs> yes that is your prefrontal cortex that's like the the front part of your head right okay when we do traditional talk therapy the only part of our brain that we use is our prefrontal cortex got it the only if i were to brain scan every every single client doing talk therapy that's where we would be at trauma we know, I just, I mentioned hippocampus earlier. So we know that our, our hippocampus, our hippocampus, our amygdala, our basal ganglia, all of those things are correlated with trauma and they're in our subconscious back down here. They're our sub, our subcortical brain. Yeah. Uh, by using eye position, our optic nerve, so our eyeballs up here on kind of our wrist, mm-hmm. our optic nerve comes right down our thumb, mm. right? Which is our brainstem and runs through our hippocampus, hippocampus, our amygdala, our basal ganglia, all of those like trauma related memory things, we can tap into them with our eye position because of the nerve that's there. Hmm. That's 
the only way to be able to release those traumas is by using some sort of eye position to tap into them because we don't have any other resource to do so. Interesting. So what is brain tapping? Like what is the actual like, do you have like something actually tapping your brain? It's brain spotting. So sorry. No, you're good. good. Brain spotting. So no, so no, we're not tapping anything. Um, (laughs) But we're just so we're like, yeah, we're finding your like, so we're like, if I were to do a very basic setup, I'm going to take, I usually have a pointer and I'm going to scan it across your field of vision. Mm -hmm. I'm going to look for different activation points in your body, which looks like I mean, sometimes I I will drag or whatever, like pause for a quick second and then keep going. Not necessarily. Um, I, anything in your body. So like, I would ask a client if they're like virtual or in person, or I want to get as much view of their body as I can, because sometimes it looks like, like a foot twitch, or sometimes it's like a finger tap or sometimes like it's little, very, very subtle things. Interesting. Um, But you're the entire time you're like looking, you're, you're thinking about a specific subject. And then, um, but you're also focusing on what your physical feelings are saying, right? Because we talked about how trauma comes out in our physical body, right? So you're thinking about your physical sensations of like, oh, my chest feels really heavy while I'm thinking about this thing. Okay, just notice that. While I scan your field of vision, I just want you to notice that. I now notice a twitch happen somewhere in you or you shift positions or you start smiling or you get a grimace or whatever it is. Yeah. And I say, okay, is that feeling more intense right now? And you go, yeah, it's like a five or it's like a five instead of a four. And I'll go, okay, we're just going to hold that here. And then I'll typically, I don't usually stop here. I'll say like, if, does it get more intense? If we look up higher, you'll, you'll, your eyes will follow my pointer and look up higher and you say like, "Mm, no, it doesn't get much higher that way. Okay. How about if we go lower and you're like, oh yeah, now it's an eight. And then I just hold that spot for the duration of the session. Mm. Your, your gaze should stay mostly on this spot, but it can fluctuate a little bit. I actually do better if I close my eyes, but once I have that spot, like kind of locked in on my eyesight, um, I'll just like, we just stay there. Right. You don't have to say anything for the entire session. Really? Really? You have, you know, most people say something, but like you, you don't have to, I'm pretty quiet when I, when I do it. And it's like a very internal process because we're not using a language part of the brain. Your subcortex does not use language at all. Um, and so what we'll see is a lot of physical sensations or physical releases happen in the body. I'll see a lot of like ticks or tremors, right? So like, like twitching or, um, like kind of like fidgeting or, um, um, I, I will rock a lot. So I'll like rock myself or like people will like hug themselves or they're like, kind of start patting different parts of them, but it's all like their brain is doing it. They're not doing it. And you're aware that it's happening, but you don't necessarily have control. So people are like, oh, it's like hypnosis. It's not, it's not at all, right? Because you're both, you're both cognizantly aware, but also subcortically aware. So we're allowing your entire brain to work on the healing versus just one part. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Do you think those movements are correlate over to people that are fidgeters? You know, like people that tap or is that a whole, whole different thing? I'm just curious. That's usually an anxiety thing. Okay. Um, different. Different. It, 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 it will happen, right? But okay. typically if you're subcortical, the emotional side of things is let go of and your body is, I mean, like you'll say like, I feel a heaviness and that feels sad or that feels mm-hmm. like I'm a little bit anxious. Like this heaviness feels like anxiousness, but the more subcortical you go, the less you're saying and the more you're just feeling. Hmm. Yeah, that's really fascinating. So do you, I mean, I'm assuming you do this with, do you do it with all your clients? Would you do, or do you just kind of pick and choose depending on the client? Like what would make you as a professional this say like, okay, I think this client will need um, brain spotting. I almost want to say tapping. I don't know why. <laughs> you got it. Um, I think that I've used it with every client. Some clients don't like it. And so mm-hmm. I won't, I won't make anybody do it. And I would say that they don't like it because it's challenging them and they don't, they're not ready to be challenged. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. That's okay. That's just a phase of of treatment that they're in, right? Like yep. they're not ready to go to the deeper stuff. They want to just kind of stay on the stuff that feels controllable. Yep. That's fine. Um, but I have tried it with every single client. And I in my like initial assessment of uh or intake with clients, mm-hmm. I'll say, like, hey, I do this treatment, I'll do the exact explanation that I just gave to you guys, and they'll go, Okay, yeah, sure, that sounds fine. At some point we can try that. I don't typically start with brain spotting. Because there is a level of trust that you have to have in me as a person, as a practitioner, to be able to like buy into the process fully. So mm-hmm. we usually do like it's usually um, like three, four sessions that we do beforehand before I'm like, hey, 
I noticed that you're staring up here when you talk about that thing. Like, can you just like notice what's happening in your body when you look up there? Right. Mm -hmm. And then like, I'll like ease them into, yeah. into it. And I'll be like, okay, what was that process like? And they're like, oh, that was crazy or super interesting. I had, um, I'm going to quote this client. Um, yeah. So sorry for the language. She said, <laughs> what kind of voodoo mind fuckery was that? <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Did you laugh? And I was, like that was brain spotting. And she was like, oh my gosh. We're going to do that every week, right? <laughs> oh, she liked it. <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah, sure. We can do that every week. That's amazing. Like, so much trauma. So much trauma. And I was like, I mean, I, I knew that, but you know, like, Oh my goodness. That's amazing. Yeah. Ah. So what's the, I guess, so what is the purpose to, to be uh, exercising this? What's the purpose behind tapping even deeper into the hippocampus yeah, so we're wanting to release as much of that as possible right so the hippocampus all of those like hip, all of those trauma parts of your brain that i've like spewed out a few times that yep. people probably don't care about yep. um they all play a role in our health and healing and ability to like compartmentalize appropriately um but they hit a storage limit right like I had to get a new iphone because i didn't have any more storage on my phone our brain's saying the same thing like i don't have storage for this. So now I'm having all of these physical symptoms. So when we alleviate some of the, the tension that's built up back there, right, we can make room for things to continue to be stored. Yeah, that makes sense. So yeah. how does it, so does our, the trauma part of our brain, does it have a larger like storage capacity? I, I mean, that varies on person, right? Like uh -huh. I'm just your curious. brain is very individualized to you and mine is very individualized to me. Yeah. yeah. Huh. I'm just curious. Yeah, that's where it goes. If it's trauma, mm -hmm. I guess, and it probably, yeah, probably depends on all the individual mm -hmm. factors and lifestyle and perception and all that jazz. Huh. Very interesting. And so do you perform, you perform this also on all of your perinatal clients as well? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's no harm or risk associated with it um, for anybody at any point in life. So it's totally safe for pregnancy. It's totally good. Yeah. I mean, we're working on brain health for sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mom deal. Um, am I missing anything? Any other, any other amazing information in there, Riley? <laughs> I don't, I, don't think so. I think we covered the big ones. We did. No, like I said, this was really informative. I think as far as just mental health during the time as we're switching into being a mom, trying to be a mom, there is, like you said, there. As always, since I went in deaf, dumb, and blind, I do not recommend anybody doing that. Um, thankfully, once again, I'm I probably have trauma from that that is now stored somewhere. <laughs> Earth trauma exists as a real thing in a That's lot right. of experiences. <laughs> um, oh, this is what I was going to ask. I didn't write this down. Sorry, I thought about this. Is you mentioned postpartum can last up to seven to eight years? What, like, why does it hang on that long? Do we know, or is um, that? I'll let you take it. Yeah. So it's a part of our processing, right? So for a lot of people, it does, it doesn't last that long. Um, but depending on what your body had to go through, how your body heals, how like a lot of like factors play out in who you are as a person, it can linger. Hmm. But I, I was just thinking about it too, after I asked that too, is it also because that's like one of the hardest time periods as the child is growing from infant to, cause I'll say like my eight-year-old, like I'm just now starting to see like, oh, like I'm going to obviously now I'm hitting the next part of parenthood, but, right. um, the, you know, making sure a life part is not as traumatic at the moment. <laughs> I think there's an, another, another, or there are multiple factors in like all things. Right. But you also think about the age that we are typically when we're having kids, right. It's twenties, thirties, uh -huh. usually not a lot past that. Some people have babies in their forties. That's cool. Right. Um, but that's also like career growth, right. That's, We've been married or with our partner for, if we're lucky, 10 years, right? But like, typically not a lot more than that, um, at least with our first couple of kids. Yeah. So there's a lot of like self-growth and self-identity that goes into just that stage of life. And now add a kid and I have this new identity as a mom. They're like, what do I do with that? Um, mm. This is actually something that I'll, I'll bring up now too. Um, that is a big one. I think that we live in a very like bounce back culture, right? We bounce back to our body. We bounce back to the life that we had before we had kids. And I don't think either of those things are very fair to ask any mom, right? First of all, bounce back body, 
Like, let's just stop that, right? Like, it doesn't happen. Your body's never, ever going to be exactly the same. Like, ever. no, it's not possible. Like, you you grew a whole human. Sure. Not going to be the same. Not going to be the same. <laughs> End there. Um, but then there's, like, right, your brain, I talked about your brain literally rewires itself to be no, more nurturing. And so some of the things that you've once cared about, you no longer don't, you no longer care about at all. And other things seem way more important, right? Um and I think we get like this huge pressure put on us to be be exactly who we were before we were a mom. But that's unrealistic because we're not the same person. Mm-hmm. And I, like dads don't get it, right? Because nothing happens to their brain. They stay exactly the same, right? <laughs> Stupid. Well, no. <laughs> we're taking on all of the change physically, emotionally, mentally, right? Like right. we're just amazing. Get to be. Like, <laughs> dumb. But nothing happens to them. Um, and their bonding with baby doesn't even really start until baby's born. Like they might be excited, they might be happy, but they don't actually know baby until baby's born, right? So that's a whole another thing. But I think that there we need to start acknowledging a grief period to becoming a mom, whether it's your first, second, fourth, tenth kid, right? Like there's a grief to every new child that you add to your family mm-hmm. because you're no longer going to be the same person. So mom of one Riley was like amazing on top of it. I was like the Pinterest award-winning parent (laughs) of everything. Like I was doing everything perfectly. Should have had an Instagram account at that point because I would have gained 200,000 followers easily. I was doing all the things, right? Riley of two kids is um, like just making it through the day, right? (laughs) And it's not that like my second kid is that much more work. It's just that I care a lot less about different things and I'm prioritizing I'm prioritizing new things. Like our health journey is much more important to me now than winning the best Halloween costume uh, award, which we're probably going to win anyway this year, but it's fine. So, <laughs> that's a bad example. But <laughs> like I care a lot less about the cleanliness of my house, yes. right? And I care a lot more about the health of our family. Mm-hmm. No, I think when, right when you started to talk about that, I, I that's one of the things, I mean, being a mom of two, I may have say that's definitely been the biggest notice. As I'll never forget, though, my mother telling me when I was pregnant with my first child, she's like, you think life's going to go back to how it was and it never will. And I remember thinking, yeah, right, mom. I'm not mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my mom, will, she mm-hmm. listens to my podcast. So mom, you'll hear all this. <laughs> Thanks, mom, uh, you were right. That's what you mean to say. Right. You were right, mom. <laughs> Thanks I'll for the good it. advice I needed. You were right. right. <laughs> <laughs> But yes, you are, I think you, that's, it hits it head at like a hundred percent. I will, like I said, I'll never forget, like just, you just view things, everything yeah. just shifts and it's, you can't, you can't explain it unless you're actually going through it. So right. I would say even like, even during pregnancy, it's different. Like you still think, no, I'm fine. Like I will just go back. And that's mm-hmm. obviously, I mean, our, obviously our, uh, work, uh, balance, not work balance, but, um, our, uh, uh, when, when you're on leave maternity when, thank you I was gonna think the word <laughs> uh, the maternity leave obviously is a whole nother issue mm-hmm. um and like I, so here's a, honestly once again this is because I didn't my first child is my best example my second one because I figured it out that's yeah. you know yeah was I went back to work after six weeks. I did the six week thing. My company actually had maternity leave, which was fantastic. Oh. Uh, really, it was only six weeks, but I got six weeks. And so at this time I was actually coaching. I was a college soccer coach at this time. And I was like, okay, I'll just have my baby, take care of my baby for six weeks, go back and start coaching and blah, dee da. Mm-hmm. It was my worst soccer season my entire career. It was a disaster. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was, I changed as a coach. Like and I didn't even know any of this was happening. Um, my team hated me. I still talked to someone today. I was like, guys, I am so sorry. I was the worst coach. Like, I don't even know what I would like. I wasn't me when I really sit back and think about it and actually quit after that. I was like, I can't keep doing this. Mm-hmm. And then I quit coaching. That was my mm-hmm. like calling of and coaching's done. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't because we lost so bad. It was just, I couldn't mentally handle it. Yeah. Why there's a lot of women that aren't in college athletic. Well, I think like you only got six weeks right there are other cultures where you get an entire year right and the most that people get in the U.S. is 12 weeks right and then you're expected to go back to work yes and that's not fair no I don't 
I, and it's, it's a, obviously, like I said, this is a whole, it's a mess. And oh, yeah. every mom that goes through some type of maternity leave understands how messy it is. And at this time, I didn't realize not every company didn't offer it. So until I had my second kid, I was at a new company and they didn't offer it. I had to save up sick time and personal time in order to create this leave to obviously to help pay for, you know, so some type of income coming in. So, right. um, but just the whole fact that you change as a person, you're not who you were before, and then you got to come back and then just start your job as if nothing happened, you know, changed, but literally your entire being is different. Yeah. It's literally not possible to be the same employee that you were before you had babies. No. Absolutely. And even if you're a mom of two and you have a third baby, you're still not going to go to work the same person. Correct. It's going to continue. It's rewired itself again to be a mom of three. Yeah. I know that's a whole, you can, we can rant about Yeah, that. we can just lobby <laughs> that one. Go down to the it's senator. Right. Hey, I got a thing for you. <laughs> Great. Um, all right. So what are, I guess we talked a little bit about, about the resources, um, that, you know, how to start educating uh, yourself. Um, is there any other suggestions or kind of those, your main ones with just educating on recognizing when you need to go, if you should start taking preventative care, is it just taking action, all of the above? I think uh, a big one that people are like, okay, but what therapist do I go to? How do I pick? Where do I start? That's a good right? question. Psychology yeah. today is a great website to get started. Um, specifically for postpartum, um, or pregnancy related things, postpartum support international.com. Um, we'll have a list of anybody who's taken any of their trainings and has, uh, decided to advertise, um, through their website. If you're, if you're a mom, right. Or going to be a mom, I would start there and then maybe also double check their psych today page and just make sure that like, you feel like it's a good fit. Yeah. Um, I had somebody say to me, and I really love this analogy, that a therapist is like a pair of shoes, right? You can wear the wrong size or an uncomfortable pair for a little while, but it's never going to get you to where you want to be in the best way, right? You're going to have bruises, blisters, whatever, right? So if the, if you start with a therapist and you don't love that therapist, it's okay. None of us are ever going to be offended if you're like, hey, I don't feel like we're the best match. I'm going to go try this therapist over here. I like that's really good analogy. Yeah. And we'd rather you tell us than you ghost us, right? Because then we know yeah. like, okay, like you are still getting the help. We don't have to kind of worry about what happened to yeah. Sally. Like she just stopped showing up, right? Like we say like, oh no, she showed up. And then I can also collaborate with that therapist on your care and what we've been working on or what you've been wanting to work on so that you don't necessarily have to start from ground zero with the new therapist. That's amazing. No, I like that. It's really good yeah. um, insight. Um, now do you, Riley, you mentioned online. Do you also do online? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm licensed in the States of Wisconsin and Iowa. So as long as you're within one of those States, I can see you. That's awesome. So you do online and obviously in person. Mm -hmm. And how do people find you, Riley? Um, so I'm on the Psych Today page. I'm on the PSI page. I have my website, which is restoring-wellness.org. Um, my Instagram, which is Riley K. Andrews. Um, or then our business pages, Restoring Wellness DBQ. Um, and then our business Facebook page is also Restoring Wellness DBQ. Got it. All kinds of places. I will include all of this in the show notes. Perfect. <laughs> so now <laughs> any of this down, you can just click. <laughs> well, awesome, Riley. This was um, honestly a really fun chat and mm -hmm. um, fun to explore, like I said, all the different areas with health. And this is obviously a big one for, for women mm -hmm. specifically. So yeah. uh, once again, thank you so much, Riley. Thank you for having me. It was fun. You're welcome.